You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Sermon text for this morning will be, uh, we'll begin reading in Acts 21, verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, How many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost complete, The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came from the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him, 
As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers, fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be with you guys again. Um, it's always a joy to be here at Redeemer. And uh, even though um, I no longer live here in the Twin Cities, um, it's, been a, it's been a real pleasure to be back. Uh, it's the first time we've been back, or I've been back, uh, since we moved uh, to Idaho. Um, it was a joy to be with the, the men this weekend at the retreat. Uh, pray with me again as we seek God's help with this passage. Father, I pray for your help as we um, go to your word. Uh, we want it to edify and encourage us. We want it to strengthen our hearts. We want it to produce the kind of steadiness that we see in Paul here. Um, and so grant us wisdom as we seek to grow up into maturity. Um, and we trust and ask that you, would, you will do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So um, it's no secret that we live in very um, trying times, uh, age of agitation, anxiety, turmoil, chaos, whatever you want to call it, um, sermon text, right, um, mayhem. Um, this, is, this is the times in which we live. You don't get to choose them, right? Gandalf says, you don't get to choose um, the times in which you live. You just get to do, choose what, what do you do with the times you've been given. So this is what we've been given. And um, the great benefit we have in the Bible is that this is not new. This is not the first time that the world has gone mad um, and, and that Christians have had to learn what to do in response to it. So my goal this morning is, um, is as we look in this passage, uh, let me just maybe give a little background about what came before this. Um, this is Paul in, in Acts 21. Paul um, is on his way to Jerusalem. Um, in the previous chapter, he was constrained by the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit is like prompting him to go uh, he wants to get there by Pentecost, um, and, and as he's going, the Holy Spirit is testifying to him, hey, when you get there, it's going to be bad. Um, the Holy Spirit directly and through other people is basically saying, you're walking into imprisonment, affliction, and maybe death. That's what you're walking into. And the Ephesian elders, if you remember in chapter 20, are basically like, don't do it, Paul, don't do it. And he's like, I got to finish the course. I got to do what God says. I got to go. So Paul is determined to finish this course, and that's where we pick up. But as we're doing it, I want you to have this as the question in your mind. Um, how do you conduct yourself? How do you conduct yourself when you know that you're heading into opposition and hostility? You're a Christian. How do you, know, how do you conduct yourself when things are chaotic, when the world's com coming unglued, and, you're, and you know it's coming? That's, that's what I want you to get. Like, Paul knows this is what's going to happen. What, but knowing that it's, that it's going to happen, well, what should you do? How do you live? How do you respond? Um, what can we learn from Paul about facing opposition in our own day? And, and I say that, um, and I want a little footnote there. Um, Paul's an apostle. He's a divinely ordained leader. Not everybody here is going to be the Apostle Paul, okay? In fact, I'm going to go out of, on a limb and say probably none of you. 
Um, not me, not you. That's not our call. Um, he, his actions, though, can instruct us, even though we probably won't be in, a, in the exact kind of situation um, that he was in. Um, so, but we do want to imitate him. We want to imitate him in his virtue and his character um, and how he conducts. And so, um, and maybe, maybe another way to frame it would be, even if you're never called to be a Christian leader who has to face something like this, um, you want to pray for your leaders that they would conduct themselves like this, and you want to amen them when they do. So you don't have to do the thing that they do, but you need to be able to say, I'm praying for you that God would strengthen you, and when it gets done, to say amen. Praise be to God. So that's where we're going. So here's, I've got a number of lessons from the passage, and I'm going to actually, we're going to bleed into chapter 22 a little bit, and I may even flag some things in 23 and 24 that you can go chase down in your own time. Um, but we're really going to be in this 21, 22 range. Um, and I've got about four big, big lessons that I want us to see, and then may, may throw in a few just for good measure. So lesson number one from what we just read. In facing opposition, in facing chaos, and walking into chaos, Paul is not trying to pick unnecessary fights. Paul is not trying to pick unnecessary fights. He, he labors to be at peace with all men, if at all possible. Yeah, this is the counsel he gives to us in the book of Romans, right? Live at peace with all men. If it, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, okay? That's the command he gives to the Romans, and we see him modeling it here, right? And um, this is Paul, perfect example of Paul following his own counsel, becoming a Jew in order to win Jews. Remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? I became as one under the law in order to win those under the law. Well, here he is, living it out, doing what, he's, what he said. Um, that the leaders of the church are in, in Jerusalem are excited about this whole mission to the Gentiles, but it has caused some problems, right? It has caused some confusion. There are a number of faithful Jews, zealous for the law, who have believed in Jesus, but they're being told by the enemies of the gospel that Paul is overthrowing Jewish customs, okay? So for the, Paul's going around teaching everyone, forsake Moses, don't circumcise your kids, don't walk according to the Jewish way of life. You've got to turn away from all of that in order to turn to Jesus. Now, the point is, this is a lie. That's not what Paul says, okay? Um, Paul, um, Paul so, so they urge Paul, show these new Jewish converts that, that you've got no problem with Jews continuing to live according to their customs, according to the law of Moses, provided they don't impose it on Gentiles. That's big. That's the whole book of Galatians is written about that. Don't, you cannot impose this on Gentiles, and you cannot look to your law keeping in order to be justified. Okay? It, but if you want to keep living according to the customs that you've always lived according to, that's fine. Just like the Gentiles have to repent of their sins, and they can keep living according to the customs of their fathers and their people. That's all well and good. There's all kinds of customs in the kingdom of God. No problem. But they're hearing Paul is opposed to Moses. Paul does not like Moses. Paul does not like He's, he's teaching Jews. And so Paul does this. He's like, sure, guys, happy to help out. Super, super easy. Um, he goes to the temple. He pays for some other Jews to fulfill their purification offering. This looks like it was like a Nazarite vow. So if you remember like Samson was a Nazarite and he had the haircut thing. Um, they, he, this, these guys had completed their, their season as a Nazarite and now they're going to, to finish it off. And the goal here is to quell unnecessary hostility. Just let's everybody just cool their baby jets, calm on down. Like, there's nothing to these accusations. Paul, Paul can be a Jew to win Jews. Paul can live according to the, those customs. And it's to show that Christians, and Paul in particular, are being misunderstood, misrepresented, and slandered. Okay? So lesson for us. Lesson number one, when you don't have to fight, don't fight. 
Where, where you don't have to fight, you need not fight. Insofar as it depends on us, we're going to live at peace with all men. Christians should not be quarrelsome people. We must not give needless offense. And so when it comes to like non-essential issues, you ought to be really flexible. You, you can have your preferences, you can have your things that you think are wise and good, and that's all well and good, but you can be real flexible and just roll with it. Um, Paul believed that in Christ, circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. What counts? Faith working through love. That's what counts. That's the big thing. But this other thing, what counts is a new creation. And so he's, his willingness to go to the temple, participate in this offering, teaches us we ought to try to live at peace with all men insofar as it depends on us. So that's lesson number one. Lesson number two, the effort to clear things up uh, with the Jews in Jerusalem does not work. <laughs> okay, It is a colossal failure. So we read Jews from Asia, where Paul had been ministering, see him in the temple, and they just go ballistic. They repeat the slander. Um, they jump to false conclusions. They think he brought that guy into the temple, which he didn't. He knows that would have been bad. I, I'm not trying to cause problems. He didn't bring Trophimus into the, into the temple courts where he shouldn't be. Um, and then they repeat all of this slander. This is verse 27 or, or so. Um, this is the guy. Here, there he is. He's been teaching everyone everywhere against the people of Israel, against the law, against the temple. He brought that Greek in there. So here's the lies, repeating the slander. Second lesson then for us, even though we may not be looking for a fight, a fight may be looking for us. Even though we may not be looking for a fight, the fight may be looking for us. And what's striking, and I think you really have to see this, what's striking is Paul is not thrown by the fact that his tactics failed. Okay? He's not, um, he completely keeps his head. He's not like, I tried to do this. Oh no, everything's going wrong. The plan didn't work. He just kind of rolls right along with it. Um, so look in Acts 21 there, uh, verse 30. Uh, all Jerusalem there is in uh, confusion. They're trying to kill Paul. Uh, the Roman tribune who ought to be in charge shows up. It's very clear. He's not in charge. Okay? Um, it's like, I mean, when, you, when, I re when I read this, when you read this passage and you just think about um, Mayor Fry a couple years ago, you remember like, it's like, yeah, I, I remember this. I've, we've seen this sort of thing. Like where he's like, I'm coming in and I'm in charge. It's like, you are not in charge, brother. Uh, so uh, he comes, so th this tribune, he's, he's supposed to be in charge. He comes upon a man being beaten to death by a mob. And his solution is arrest the guy being beaten. Like put him in handcuffs. <laughs> um, and then the crowds, they're shout shouting these contradictory, he's like, what's going on? And these people are yelling one thing and these people are yelling another thing and they're, they're all violent and chaos is reigning. The tribune is in over his head. And so he's like, let's just get the guy out of here. And they have to carry him out. And then they bring him back into the barracks, surrounded by the mob, chanting, 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 okay? And at that moment, Paul looks at him and he says, hey, can I say something to you? And the tribune hears him speaking in Greek. That's important. He hears him speaking Greek. He says, oh, you speak Greek? You're that Egyptian assassin guy. You're that revolutionary leader, right? That, that, that's why these guys are trying to kill you, is you're an Egyptian assassin, and Paul's like, actually, just a Jew from Tarsus, uh, citizen of no obscure city. That's actually a little pregnant phrase there. I think what he means there is he's a citizen of Rome. And at that point, the tribune should have asked a few more questions, right? He should have, what city? Because later it's going to be important what city Paul's from. Um, but right here, he's just like, hey, uh, I, I'm a Jew from Tars Tarsus. Um, can I talk to the people? Now, this is remarkable. There is a mob outside 
ready to tear Paul to pieces. It's chaos. Roman soldiers unable to do crowd control. And Paul says, what I would really like to do right now is give my testimony. <laughs> um, you know, there's a, there's a mob outside. They want to kill me. Great. Um, can, I, can I have the mic? Is this thing on? So remember, the plan was to calm the tension in Jerusalem by accommodating these Jews, by becoming like one of them. But Paul knows no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. Five minutes in and calming things down, quelling hostility out the window. We have a mob and Paul just rolls, rolls with it. He just rolls with it. He wasn't looking for a needless fight, but he's not thrown off when one shows up anyway. He sees an opportunity to preach the gospel and he takes it because the tribune sees a violent mob Paul sees a congregation. Paul sees a congregation. And the amazing thing is, I think, again, you can see the steadiness of Paul, is that the tribute's like, the tribune says, uh, sure. Right? Like, he just arrested the guy, and Paul's like, can I go give my testimony out there to those people trying to kill me? And the tribune sort of sees his calmness, in controlness, and he's like, well, I'm not, uh, yeah, I guess go ahead, do that. And so Paul walks out and gives his testimony. He grants Paul permission. That's lesson number two. Lesson number three, Paul speaks differently to different types of sinners. So in order to get this, you have to have some background in the book of Acts. Um, back in Acts 13, there was a, an Egypt, a magician named Elymas. I don't know if you remember this story, but there was an, uh, a magician named Elymas, and, he, and Paul had been trying to preach the gospel to this governor, a guy named Sergius Paulus, and this guy was eager to hear the word. He was a man of intelligence. He wanted to hear the, the word of God, and um, then that magician who was in his court tried to prevent Paul from doing it, he tried to get Paul to shut up because this would be bad for business, right? He's in a magician, Paul's might, they might convert, guy doesn't want that. So he tries to get in the way, and when he tries to prevent it, it the, the text says that Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, unloads both barrels. I think that's a quote. Um, no, Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, says to the guy, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Okay. In other words, these are biting words. These are pointed words. These are sharp words directed at one guy in public where everybody can hear, and it was birthed from the Holy Spirit. Like this is the Spirit-inspired insult right there. Um, and you see the same sort of thing. If you remember back in, in um, Acts 7, with, remember the story of Stephen when he's about to be stoned? And he gets to the end of his sermon, and he's like, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you resist the Holy Spirit, you persecute the prophets, you temple-worshiping, idolatrous, Messiah-murdering lawbreakers. Okay? Like, he unloads, he unloads it all on this mob that wants to kill him. So, so you've seen a couple of times in the book of Acts that in these situations, the apostles will, will get very direct in their criticism. They won't mince words at all. And so here you are in Acts 21, you've got a mob, Paul says, give me the mic, what do you think he's going to do? Well, then he surprises you. So I just want you to watch what he does. So pick up where, where we ended. He, he, um, he goes out there. Um, first, note, he surprises everybody by speaking in Hebrew. Okay, and don't miss that that's a, that's a thing. He had spoken Greek to the other guy. And then he comes out there, and, and this crowd thinks this is a Gentile-loving, Greek-loving, Greekophile um, and then he comes out and like flawless rabbinic Hebrew starts to preach and everybody gets really quiet, really fast. This was, this was not what they expected. He surprises them by speaking in flawless Hebrew. Then what does he say? I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the laws of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. 
I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers. I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And as I was on my way, I drew near to Damascus. About noon, great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. This is Paul's testimony, right? Remember this story? Um, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I'd returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Um, And then I'm going to pick up there uh, in a minute. So uh, did you see what he just did? Like, is that what you expected to a mob based on what he's done before, right? Like, was there, was there, you sons of the devil, was there any of that? No. Instead, what's he doing? Well, he's emphasizing his shared Jewish heritage. I'm a Jew like you guys are, Right? I was educated by Gamaliel. They're all going to know who that is. That, he was the most prominent rabbi of his day. And Paul was like, I studied under him. And they're like, well, that's not what we thought. He emphasizes their shared zeal for God. He says, I'm ze- I'm zealous for God as all of you are this day. I'm like you. You're zealous for God? Me too. He, in other words, notice that. He doesn't, he doesn't attribute their violence toward him in this, in this sermon to their hostility to the gospel. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. He says, I know you're here today because you love God. You're zealous for God. I, I completely understand. I, I was there. Uh, he emphasizes that he too once persecuted Christians like they're doing right this minute. I, I, I drug Christians off to prison, okay? So shared heritage, shared zeal, shared persecution. Paul's saying, look, I get you guys. I get you. I was like you. I understand. This is like he's building bridges, to his audience. He's being winsome. He then describes in the encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, this is sort of the, the turning point, and you can see the sort of um, rhetorical move he's making here as he's preaching the gospel. He's saying, I was a persecutor like you, zealous for God, then Jesus knocked me off my horse, and then he redirected my zeal. I'm still zealous for God, but now my zeal is shaped by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the difference. And even here, you can see the way he builds bridges when he mentions Ananias. He's like, he's a devout man according to the law. Well spoken of by all the Jews there. Everybody loves Ananias. Um, after uh, after he, um, he says the first thing he did after his conversion, what did he do? I was in the temple praying. What did his Judaism do? What did his conversion do? It sent him to the temple to pray. And then all of this, he's weaving the gospel in, right? You see those little bits like... Um, Jesus is the righteous one. By calling on his name, your sins can be washed away. Baptism is how you identify with Jesus in public. And so all of these, all of these sort of things he's doing as he's telling his testimony, and, and you can say, wow, this is, this is different. So how do you, so let's just pause. How do you explain the difference? Why, why sometimes when Paul is facing opposition to the gospel, is it unload, 
sons of the devil. And other times it's, hey, I get you. Why does he do it? Well, Paul speaks differently to apostles from the world and refugees from the world. This is a distinction I got from Doug Wilson. Apostles from the world, refugees from the world. He speaks differently, in other words, to lying wolves and to confused sheep. So a refugee, what do, I, what do we mean by refugee? Refugee is someone who's potentially persuadable, who might give the gospel a fair he- hearing if you can cut through the lies that they've heard about it and about you. Um, and refugees come in all shapes and sizes. Some may be curious, some may be seekers, some may be racked with guilt and shame. Think about the woman at the well um, in Jesus's ministry. Some may be apathetic at this point, not really care. And some may actually even be hostile because they've heard lies like this mob. But whatever shape, whatever size, these people, if you can cut through it, you can give them a chance to hear the gospel. Apostles from the world, on the other hand, are leaders in the world. They're like the priests and the Sadducees. They're like the Pharisees. They're like that magician. They're influencers. They, and, and the way that they use their influence is to prevent other people from hearing and responding to the gospel. That's what that magician was doing in Acts 13. Or you think about um, in Jesus's ministry, you remember he condemns the Pharisees because not only will you not enter, but you try to get in other people's way. If anybody else wants to enter the kingdom, you try to cut them off and don't let them in. And that's why Jesus speaks harshly to Pharisees. So apostles from the world, they have their own mission. They're they're on a mission. They travel over land and sea. They try to make converts. And when they make one, Jesus says, they make them twice the son of hell that they are. They're evangelistic in their zeal. They're in the grip of high-handed rebellion. So apostles from the world, leaders, high-handed, defiant, evangelistic in their rebellion, keeping other people from turning from their sin and entering the kingdom, that's an apostle from the world. And when Paul or... um, or Stephen or any of the apostles, when they encounter that kind of person in the Bible, they unload. They speak clearly, directly, sharply as the Spirit leads. And so you ought to think that's how we should be. Now, maybe not you. You may not be in a confrontation with someone like that, but if your pastor ever is, or if a prominent Christian leader ever is in that sort of circumstance and they unload and they, and they do it, you ought, to be, you ought to be going, I know where we are. This is, an, this is an apostle from the world. This is a Pharisee. This is Elamis the magician. Amen. Amen to that. But Paul here doesn't do it. Even though he's surrounded by this mob, he tries to show them even persecutors can be transformed. Even persecutors can be transformed. And, and you can do so without losing your zeal for God. He's essentially saying, I was like you, I thought zeal for God meant persecuting followers of Jesus, but then Jesus showed up and changed everything. Not everything. I'm still zealous for God. Christians are devout people. They have good reputations. But if you call in the name of Jesus, the righteous one, your sins have been washed away. My sins have been washed away. Your sins can be washed away too. You don't have to reject this testimony about Jesus. So what's the lesson? What What should we learn from that? It's if possible, we need to help people see that they can be transformed by Jesus like we have been. That, that's what Paul is doing. Um, we, we need to show people that we were just like them. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians, unrighteous, liars, thieves, sexually immoral, homosexuals, drunkards, greedy. Paul says, such were some of you. That's who we were. That's where we came from. But we were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified. Jesus changed our lives. We were like you. You can be like us. Jesus makes the difference. That's what we should labor to do. So Paul is speaking here 
to, to this mob, like, like, like refugees, like those who have been misled by slander. He's becoming like a Jew in order to win Jews, identifying with them, sharing their concerns, their passions, in order to show them the way out. He's really trying to win them. I want you to get that. He really wants to win these people over. But I want you to notice then how he ends the sermon. So I didn't finish it, okay? I didn't finish the sermon. Let's go back and finish the sermon. So Jesus has told them, get out of Jerusalem. They're not going to accept you. And, Paul, and I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And then Jesus said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks, flinging dust in the air. The tribune drug, drug him back inside and said, let's flog the guy and figure out why are they shouting at him like this. Let's beat it out of Paul. Why, don't, just, don't ask him, just beat him until he tells you, why did the mob go nuts when you said that? The tribune has no idea what's happening right now. Okay, so... I want you to just get the scenario again. Notice they were listening to Paul, hushed into silence by flawless Hebrew and a clear testimony. Some of them may have begun even to think of themselves in terms of what Paul, Paul's story, right? They might have gone like, well, maybe, maybe I could be too. If he was like me and then Jesus changed him, maybe, maybe there's something to this, right? And they might have been on the road to calling on Jesus. And then what does Paul do? He spoils it. He totally ruins it. Kills the moment. He says, God sent me to the Gentiles and Gentiles are included in the people of God. Gentiles get to come in. And this crowd goes ballistic, sermon over. And you have to know this. You have to know that Paul knew exactly what he was doing. Like he, like he knew that what stirred up the crowd in the first place. They thought Paul brought a Gentile into the temple. That's why they're there. That's why they're rioting. So he knows when he said that he knows th these people probably despise Gentiles, definitely hate the Gentiles. Um, and uh, he, he knows that he, he himself fell prey to that when he was a persecutor. He, get, he knows that better than anyone. And yet in his testimony, when he has them hushed into silence, listening to how Jesus changed his life, he says it anyway. He could have held off. That's what I, want you to, I want you to get that. He could have ended the sermon in verse 20 and said, you know, he, he could have said, I was like you, you can be like me, call on Jesus, he'll wash away your sins, and now I'm gonna invite Bill up here and he's gonna sing just as I am one more time and like we're gonna have, the, you know, come on down front, everybody, right? Like Paul could have ended the sermon with, I was like you, you can be like me, call upon Jesus. And instead, he slips in there, mission to the Gentiles. Gentiles are included. And this is a challenging lesson for us because it's easy to want to preach the aspects of the gospel that people will like and resonate with. That's really easy. To smooth over those rough edges so that we can win people to Jesus. Like, you know, sort of like the, the mentality that says, hey, we'll talk about all the hard truths later. Like, we'll get them in after they believe and we'll call, that, we'll call that discipleship. We'll call that discipleship. Don't tell them on the front end. I remember reading recently about um, a woman who um, uh, got in, um, 
came to Christ in a prom, through a prominent church, prominent ministry, um, came to Christ and then fell back away, apostatized, it fell away. And when she talks about why, why it happened, the thing that she highlights is when I came in, what they were telling, I never heard a word about abortion in this church. It's been a major metro. I never heard, they never said anything about abortion being sinful. They never said anything about homosexuality being sinful. I had no idea. But then I discovered later that that's what they thought. After, I'd, after they got me, I discovered, wait, you people believe that? And I couldn't believe it. And she fell away. And she, felt, and she was upset because she felt like she was lied to. She felt like it was a bait and switch. They did, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. But nothing, none of the hard bits that were going to offend a modern progressive. And so she bought it and then discovered that these were actually conservative Christians. They just didn't advertise. And she felt really betrayed. She felt really um, bait and switch. So here's the deal. You can't do that. It's not faithful. It's not faithful. When we call people to repent of their sins and their idolatries and their bigotries, you can't avoid the ones you know will make them angry. We can't. Because Jesus, God sent Jesus to bless us by turning every one of us from our wickedness. That's Acts 3.26. Every one of us from our wickedness, like the particular one. Not just generic wickedness, but the particular wickedness that afflicts us. Which means you can't preach the gospel to a clansman and not call him away from his racial pride and hatred. You can't. You can't preach the gospel to a partying frat guy and not call him away from his drunkenness and debauchery. You can't preach the gospel to a practicing homosexual and not call him away from sodomy. You can't preach the gospel to an anti-Semite and not call them away from hatred of Jews. You can't do it. You're not preaching the gospel. Put it the other way around. You have to be clear and courageous about both who Jesus is and what sin is. You have to be clear and courageous both about who Jesus is. Paul was doing that at the beginning, and then at the end, he was like, now I'm going to get into some of that. Here's some sin. Got to go there. It may end the conversation. It may end the conversation. You can't preach the gospel to a 21st century progressive egalitarian society and not hold up God's design for men and women in marriage. You just can't. It may end the conversation. They may say, away with such a bigot. He doesn't deserve to live. But faithfulness to Jesus means we don't have the right to adjust the truth to suit their sin. We don't have the right to adjust the truth to suit their sin. So, I mentioned that there were, so those are the four big, four big lessons. Try, um, live at peace if possible. Um, know that the fight may be coming anyway. Speak differently to different audiences, and you have to say the hard thing. You have to say the hard thing. Now, there's some other little, little elements that I'm just going to like, um, I'm going to just little, just like little, this is like the bonus, like this one's free. Um, no, uh, like this is the bonus stuff, right? That if you want to go back through and see like how did, what else did Paul do in this section of scripture? It's a really fascinating section of scripture. Go read chapters 22, 23, 24. Um, here's a couple of things. He makes really strategic use of his Roman citizenship. So um, I mentioned this a second ago. Um, when he... Um, so what happens after he gets brought in and flogged, he, this, this, the centurion flogging and beating him, and then Paul at that moment says, hey, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen who's not been convicted of a crime? And the centurion goes, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? And uh, he said, yeah, you know. Um, 
And then so the centurion runs to the tribune. He's like, what are you doing? That guy's a Roman citizen. And then the tribune comes running. Are you a Roman citizen? Yeah. I'm by birth, actually. Oh, I bought my citizenship. Oh, that's cool. Glad you, glad you could join us. <laughs> right? Paul's like, I was a Roman citizen by birth. And now he's got, the, he's got the tribune. Why didn't he tell him that earlier? Why did he wait till he was stretched out on the rack and getting beaten to drop this little bomb? Because of this. Now, all of a sudden, the tribune is going to do whatever he's got to do. In fact, you see it. The tribune, when he sends, that's great. When the, the, um, in the next chapter, the tribune is going to send him to somewhere. And he writes a letter to the governor, and he says, um, this man was seized by Jews and was about to be killed, and I rescued him. <laughs> Having learned that he was a Roman citizen. It literally says that. The guy, verses, chapter 23, verse 26 to 28. So, I came upon them with soldiers, and I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And, and I wanted to know what they were accusing him of. I brought him down, and uh, I found that they'd been accusing him. And so, I'm sending him to you because I figured you could sort it. Right? So, like, th- this gets Paul what he wants. He, he, strate- he doesn't mention it when he needs to. And then later then, um, he's going to use that Roman citizenship to say, I appeal to Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen. Every Roman citizen has the right to appeal to Caesar. So I appeal to Caesar. I'm going to use my citizenship to get an audience with the highest person in this land. And what do you think he's going to do there? Right? He's going to testify. Right? He's going to bear witness. So, all right. Uh, second thing that Paul does, Paul exploits divisions among his opponents. There's this great little scene in the, in the next chapter where he, they gather the Jews together to hear Paul make his defense. And, um, and, there, and, he, and he looks around and he realizes um, that half of them are Sadducees and half of them are Pharisees. And he's like, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection. And then so Paul does this. He goes, brothers, I am here because of my belief in the resurrection of the dead. And then jumps back, you know, like, like rolls that little grenade in there. And immediately they start fighting among themselves. They're no longer trying to persecute him. They're arguing over um, what, you know, the book of Exodus means all of a sudden. So he, he's, he exploits divisions among his opponents. He's, he keeps his head. Uh, there's remarkable providences. He's, there's a time when some Jews gather together and make a vow that they're going to kill Paul in transit whenever he's on the, you know, they're going to take him. And like Paul's, um, Paul's nephew is like the bartender or something, you know, like, like there's just like, a, and he runs and tells Paul and says, hey, these guys made a vow at the bar that they're going to kill you. Um, they're not going to eat until they kill you. And so Paul tells the centurion and the centurion's like, well, I guess you get to have a hundred soldiers as your bodyguards now. Remarkable providences. Um, he accepts human injustice. So the g- governor Felix, who he gets, who gets um, sent to, keeps him in prison for like two years unjustly um, because he wants Paul to bribe him. And Paul's not going to bribe him. And so he keeps bringing him out to kind of say, hey, you've been here a while. And Paul, every time he does, Paul preaches the gospel. He says, hey, um, God calls you to be righteous. He calls you to be a righteous ruler. He preaches what Felix needs to hear. And Felix, hey, yeah, that's fine. I'll call you back in a couple months. Um, but he's not thrown by the injustice that he suffers. Instead, he cheerfully endures it. So the, these are just some other things that Paul's doing in the midst of chaos, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of hostility. And so I want to conclude with this. Paul saw the powder keg around him. He saw, this is like we are sitting on a powder keg here. He was living in a time of angst and agitation and turmoil with slander and scapegoating and social stampedes in every direction. And so what did he do? He sought to live at peace with all men, but was willing to fight when, it was, when the fight came. Uh, riots, mobs, confusion, arrest, beatings, false accusations, all of it came. And Paul just says, I'm going to roll with it. Whatever comes, I'm going to be faithful in it. 
When earth gives way and waters foam, when shadow falls on hearth and home, when nations rage, when kingdoms mock, then we stand on God the rock. Paul knew he was standing on a rock. He knew God's writing this story, not these Jewish leaders, not the Roman tribune who's in over his head, not the corrupt governor who wants me to bribe him. God's writing this story. Okay? God's writing. And Paul was free then to look for every opportunity to say his lines, to play his part, to be faithful with whatever came. And so here's the same, may the same be true for us. God's writing this story, not the Supreme Court, not Congress, not the president, not big business, big education, big tech. God is. Jesus is. Which means our call is to be wise as serpents. Think strategically. Plan well. Make use of every righteous means to advance the gospel. And to be innocent as doves. Live upright, godly lives, quiet lives, without compromising the truth or shrinking back in fear. And wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and cool as a cucumber. Okay? Unshaken by adversaries, ready to roll with it when the plans come unraveled. Confident, humble, sober-minded, steady, secure, even in the midst of mayhem, because we know Jesus is risen, reigning, on the move, even in the midst of the chaos. Let's pray.